Welcome to the Southwest Church of Christ D6 Bible Class Podcast. My name is Jeremy Poole, and this is the 11th lesson of the quarter entitled, Sometimes Less is More, where we will be focusing on Judges chapter 7. As you recall, D6 refers to Deuteronomy 6 that teaches us to love God, love his instructions, and to teach our children and their children to have that same love. Last week, we studied Judges 4, where we read about Deborah and Barak. We talked about how we should always be cautious of becoming complacent and to take action to retain a passion and commitment for the Lord. We also learned that we should always trust and obey God. We may face very difficult situations where we are asked to do things that do not make sense to us in our earthly wisdom, but we must still trust and follow God. God has already won the victory. Today, we will be looking at Gideon, who also was asked to do some things that did not seem to make very much sense from a worldly point of view. Despite this, Gideon followed God's instruction, and God was victorious. In Judges 6, we learn that the Israelites repeat the cycle of disobeying God and are handed over to the Midianites. The Midianites were actually fairly closely related to the Israelites. In Genesis, we find that the Midianites are descended from Midian, who was the son of Abraham and his second wife, Keturah. In Exodus, we see Moses marrying Zipporah, who was the daughter of Jethro, who was a Midianite priest. Numbers 25 sheds some light on why there may have been animosity between the Israelites and the Midianites despite these close connections. In Numbers 25, we see that the Israelites had started intermarrying with the Midianites and that the Midianites had led the Israelites into idolatry. As a result of this, the Lord instructed the Israelites to treat the Midianites as enemies and kill them. From that point forward, there was enmity between the Israelites and the Midianites. When the Lord handed the Israelites over to the Midianites, the Midianites oppressed them to such a harsh degree that the Israelites hid out in mountain clefts and caves, which is where we find Gideon. Verse 11 of chapter 6 states that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. I don't know a lot about threshing wheat or wine pressing, but what I have read is that typically wheat is threshed on the top of a hill or in a wide open area where the wind can help separate the wheat from the chaff. On the other hand, a wine press is typically a small, contained space, possibly a hole in the ground. The only reason that Gideon would be doing this is that he is afraid of the Midianites and is trying to hide what he is doing from them. This is where God calls upon Gideon to save Israel from Midian. Gideon receives a sign that this is really a request from the Lord. That night, he is instructed to tear down his father's altar to Baal and to cut down the Asherah pole as well. He does it under the cover of night because he is fearful of the people. After being supported by his father and receiving the new name of Jerubbaal, which basically means enemy of Baal, Gideon summons the people of Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali to arms. At this point, he has more doubts and asks for more signs from God with the dew and the fleece. 
we see from chapter six that Gideon's initial state is one of timidity and fear. We also see someone who obeys God's instructions despite his fear and hesitation. So before we move on to our passage for today in chapter seven, I want to ask you a question. If you had to choose the worst trait for a boss to have that would make you want to quit your job, what would it be? I will give you just a moment to ponder that question. Would it be micromanaging you and giving you no freedom to do your work? Maybe it would be having a manager who provides very poor direction or guidance, or maybe he sets unclear expectations. Perhaps it is not backing you up or taking your side on things. Possibly it would be having a boss who overworks you and does not seem to care. It could even be having a manager that does not trust you. While all of these traits are poor qualities in a manager, a study done by BambooHR.com in 2019 found that none of these are the top traits that makes a manager a bad boss. The study found that the number one bad boss trait was taking the credit for employees' work. Why might this be? Why would having a boss who takes credit for your work be worse than one who micromanages you or one who has a lack of direction or sets unclear expectations? Well, I don't have the answer to that question. If you have ever had someone steal the credit for your work you have done, you might understand why this is such a repulsive behavior. Nobody likes to be stolen from. In today's lesson, we will see some things that God did to ensure that the credit for his handiwork could not be stolen by anyone else. Let's turn to Judges chapter 7. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Starting in verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the three hundred who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. In verse 2, we see that God planned to win a great victory over Midian, but he was going to do it his way, 
rather than man's way. God was going to gain this victory in such a way that no man could boast of his own strength, his craftiness, or military prowess. God planned to reduce the number of men in the Israelite army to a point they were vastly outnumbered. From an earthly point of view, the more soldiers, the better when heading into battle. Yet God reduced Israel's force from 32,000 men down to 300, less than 1% the size of the original army. First, God had Gideon release all those who were afraid to fight. He then eliminated all those who knelt down to drink. I don't know what was going through Gideon's head as God gave him instructions to reduce the size of his army, but I know I would have been feeling a lot of doubt and fear. I would have also probably started looking for ways to hand off the responsibility of leading this puny force and going home with all of the others who were dismissed. Regardless of the emotions he was feeling or the doubts that came to Gideon's mind, he followed God's instructions and sent a vast majority of the forces home. One thing I've always found fascinating in these verses is this separation based on how they drank. There are many thoughts as to why the men may have been separated in such a way. Ben Gersom proposed that those who drank on their knees were faint and weary and indulged greatly of the water and were therefore unfit for war and slothful while those who lapped only a little water to refresh themselves show themselves to be fit and ready to participate in battle. This would fit the earlier separation of those who were fearful of battle and those who were not. Josephus, however, takes a different opinion. According to Josephus, those who knelt down were less watchful as they were full of courage and did not fear the Midianite army, while the 300 who lapped were too worried about the opposing army and trembling in fear. This were the case, then using these 300 men would be an even greater feat due to their timidity. Another Jewish tradition holds that kneeling was associated with the worship of Baal. By using the 300 men who did not kneel down, this was symbolic of using those who refused to kneel before Baal. Regardless of why the 300 were chosen, we see here God using a tiny remnant of the original army to face the far more numerous Midianite army. In Judges 8 verse 10, we see that the Midianite army had at least 135,000 men. This means there would have been at least 450 Midianite men for every man in Gideon's force of 300. I am certain that this approach to facing the Midianite army made absolutely no sense to Gideon. But from God's perspective, this would demonstrate his mighty power and all the glory would go to him for this impossible victory. God would be the evident source of Gideon's success. Let's continue reading from Judges 7, starting in verse, uh, the partway through verse 8. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up. Go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. 
The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. In this passage, we see that Gideon does have doubts and fears, as is only natural in this situation. God is extremely patient with Gideon's doubts and fears and allays Gideon's fears by orchestrating an amazing chain of events. First, he causes a Midianite to have a dream. He then sends Gideon to the exact location where this Midianite was. Remember, this is one man in a crowd of 135,000. And he did this at just the exact moment that this Midianite was telling the dream to a friend. God then allowed the friend to interpret the dream in such a way that Gideon was filled with confidence and assurance. God encouraged and strengthened Gideon at the exact moment he needed it. To Gideon's credit, his response to God's encouragement was to worship God and acknowledge God's role in this chain of events. We also see Gideon respond with boldness, faith, and courage, as opposed to the timid and doubtful approach we have seen from Gideon before. Like Gideon, when we are faced with difficult situations and full of doubt or fear, we should look to the Lord and to his word for strength and encouragement, as we know he will be faithful to bless us and provide us with strength and courage to overcome. We too should respond with boldness and faith, knowing that God is on our side. Returning to Judges chapter 7, let's start reading in verse 16. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah toward Zerara, as far as the border of Abel Mahala near Tabath. 
Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Verse 16 is almost humorous. Gideon has just woken up his army of 300 men and said that the Lord was giving the Midianite camp into their hands. He then gives each man a trumpet, an empty jar, and a torch. If I were one of the 300 men with Gideon, I probably would have been thinking something like, Hey Gideon, aren't you forgetting something? I don't see any swords or a bow and quiver. Also, it's kind of dark here in the middle of the night, and so I may find it hard to see the enemy soldiers to fight them. But standing here with this torch in my hand will make me an easy target. This does not sound like a plan that any traditional military mind would come up with. Some, however, might argue that this is a very strategically sound battle plan. They might argue that Gideon chose the perfect time to attack when there was a natural confusion with some people returning to camp from guard duty, some would be leaving to take over guard duty, and some would be fast asleep. The timing, however, was determined by God when he strengthened and encouraged Gideon. These same, these same people may also argue that each torch and trumpet would signify a battalion of men to the Midianites, causing them to assume they were surrounded by thousands rather than, three, rather than 300. The sound of the jars smashing could have sounded like thousands of swords being unsheathed. So yes, this could be considered a brilliant strategy and battle plan, but the point is that it was God's plan and not man's plan. Gideon trusted and followed God. I am sure that this is the reason that he is included in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews. We too must learn to fully trust God and to step out in our faith and take action. To summarize what we have seen in Judges 7, in the first part of the chapter, we saw that God was the true source of victory. God desired to be acknowledged for the victory. We ought to be careful to give God the credit and glory for the successes He grants us in our lives as well. I encourage you to spend time each day this week praising God and thanking Him for the blessings and victories in your life. The middle part of the chapter, we saw that God encouraged and strengthened Gideon when he needed it the most. God will strengthen and encourage us as well in our times of need. He will be faithful to us. In the last part of the chapter, we see God achieving an amazing victory when Gideon trusted and obeyed God. We too will see God achieve amazing things as we trust him and follow his instructions. Perhaps you are going through a rough patch right now and need encouragement from God. If so, I would like to leave with you a couple of passages that I truly find encouraging and give me strength. First, I encourage you to read John chapters 14 through 17. In these chapters, Jesus prepares his disciples for his coming crucifixion and provides many encouraging words. In John 16:33. Jesus states that he has told them these things so that they would have peace. Jesus assures them that even though they may face trouble in this world, he has overcome the world. The second passage I encourage you to read is Romans 8. At the beginning of the chapter, Paul reminds us that we are no longer condemned. We are no longer subject to the law of sin and death because through Christ Jesus we have been set free. And then Paul concludes the chapter stating that since God is for us, 
nothing can stand against us. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Thank you for listening to the Southwest Church of Christ podcast. I hope you have found this lesson to be encouraging to you and your walk with Christ. God bless you.